Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your words are living and, and active. You said in John 16, 33, your words are spirit. Your words are life. You said in Hebrews 4, your words are alive and quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And they go into the very dividing parts of our heart and our spirit. And I just thank you, Father, that your word brings increase. Your word causes uh, disciples to multiply and increase. It's because of your word. You said in Luke 8, 11, your word is a seed. This morning we receive that seed with gladness. Open our ears spiritually, Father. We open our hearts to you to hear what you would say. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We're going we're gonna to review just a moment because we didn't talk about this last week and some of you weren't here the week before. And frankly, this is so important, it bears repeating. So let's jump into our text, Mark 11. We're going to go verse 20 through 24. Mark 11, verse 20 through 24. Had the best time yesterday with some folks that came and helped us clean uh, at our Prosser campus. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing that. And then I left a little bit early and went home and cooked a turkey. And no, I didn't put Noah in the oven. I didn't know, but I went home. And I went home and cooked a turkey. And it was actually a really, really good turkey. It was my first one. And so I don't normally pat myself on the back, but I am going to pat myself on the back today because it was a really, really good turkey. Somebody said, how did you make this? I said, I have no idea. They said, you should have wrote it down. And I said, yes, I should have. Mark 11 and verse 20. Here we go. Let's read this together. We're going to read it. God's going to help us this morning. Ready? As they were passing by in the morning, now, let me give you a little context. How many of you know context is important? Context matters. This is the last week of the life of Jesus on the earth. This is his last week before the crucifixion and resurrection. And they are now entering Jerusalem. And they've already had the, the royal processional where they had the fig branches. And they were waving, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now Jesus is going and he's beginning to teach into the, the temple. He's cursed the fig tree. He has cleansed the temple. He threw out the money changers. And, and that's where we are in the life of Christ. It says, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered up from the roots how many know sometimes we have problems in our life and it's not enough to just deal with the branches you've got to deal with the roots you've got to go to the root system sometimes there is scripture calls a root of bitterness sometimes church people like to just prune what people can see but the real real issue is underneath what we can't see so jesus spoke to the roots so verse 21 says being reminded peter said this isn't, isn't peter the obvious one isn't Peter just Captain Obvious? He said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Jesus is thinking, what did you expect? What, what did, of, course, of course the fig tree I cursed is withered. What, what did you expect? And Jesus begins to give them a very powerful lesson. This is a lesson they would need for the rest of their lives. This is a, re a lesson that would help them bring this gospel to all the world. Look what he says in verse 23, truly I say unto you, meaning listen, perk up your spiritual ears and pay attention. This morning I'm bringing this message. I'm saying please listen, please pay attention. This next 30 minutes is not the time to be on Facebook. This is the time to give our attention to the word of the living God. I'm echoing what Jesus said. He said, truly I say to you, whoever, somebody say whoever, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen. It will be granted to him. Verse 24, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. 
This morning, we're talking about faith that works. Let me define faith for you. You'll see this on the screen. There's a definition of faith. We have to understand what it is. Number one, it's a deep conviction of truth based on the character of one who can be relied on. God can be relied on. God is true. Therefore, we can have faith in Him. My children helped us yesterday. We had our Thanksgiving lunch. Since we're going to Nicaragua this week, I didn't want to miss out on Thanksgiving. And so we went ahead and had our Thanksgiving lunch with our family. And Ava and Noah did such a great job cleaning the, the house and helping. And while Tara and I were sitting there drinking lemonade, they were cleaning. It was a beautiful picture. <laughs> I'm teasing. But they were helping clean. And I called them to the, to the couch last night after everybody left. And I said, guys, y'all did such a great job. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you $5 tomorrow. I mean, no, don't tell them, but... $5 is still a big deal to my children. Please don't spoil that for me, okay? It used to be a dollar, and now they've upped it to five. But they still think $5 is a big deal. Please don't ruin my secret. It is a big deal. It, exactly right. It is a big deal. So they know that today they're going to be getting $5. Why do they believe that? Because my character can be relied on. Because I don't tell them one thing and then do another. I have a practice and a habit of keeping my word. Well, nobody ever believes me. Would you keep your word every now and then? Then somebody might believe you. Well, nobody ever takes me serious. Have you ever told the truth? Have you ever honored your word? And so I honor my word with my children. So they know today they're going to be getting $5. Joseph is going to bless them with that. I believe in God. I feel that prophetically this morning. <laughs> and so it is, it is not only to, to have a conviction of truth based on a person, which is the Lord, it is to be induced by words to believe. This is what faith means. It means to motivate us to action. Faith motivates us to do something. Faith is not an action, but faith has an accompanying action to it. When we have faith, there are actions that go along with our faith. It is to listen, obey, and to yield, to comply with. It is to trust and have confidence in. So this is faith. And we begin to give you fundamentals to flowing in faith. Number one, check this out on the screen. This is review. The first fundamental to flowing in faith. We want faith that works. Number one is location, location, location. Remember Jesus said have faith in God. We put faith in God and we put faith in His Word. We won't take time to look at it. But we know from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says we live by faith in the Son of God. Our faith is in the Son of God. Look at this PowerPoint for life. I believe you'll see this on the screen. Where we place our faith is much more important than faith itself. It's not just about having faith. The world has faith. It's about the location of our faith. It is in the great God, the creator of all the universe. So I put my faith in the Lord. My faith is not in a man. My faith is not in a job. My faith is not in a company. My faith is not in a 401k. My faith is in the Lord Jesus. All those things can change, but God never changes. Why would you put faith in God? He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. As awesome as Rick and Susan are, they change. As awesome as Karen and Angela are, they change. God never changes. We can put our faith in the Lord. Number two, the second fundamental to flowing in faith is that faith can grow and develop. We read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 that we are growing and increasing in our faith. I know that says 1 Thessalonians, but that is wrong. We found that out last time. Thanks to Susan, who knows her Bible. It is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Our faith can grow. Our faith can develop. Or our faith can stagnate. Our faith can go backwards. 
I was telling Tony this morning, we're so blessed. Tony helps us here. He's on staff at the school, and he's here in the mornings, helps us set up. I said, Tony, I'm getting old. I can feel this. I was setting this stuff up, moving speakers. And he said, you're, he said, you're too young to feel old. I said, I know it, but I'm using muscles I'm not used to. Our muscles can deteriorate. Our muscles can go backwards. Our faith can go forwards or backwards. Which, which is it going to be? Well, if God gives me faith to go forward, it's not up to God. He's already given us a measure of faith. It's what the Bible says. I believe it's in Romans uh, 12 and verse 3. It says that each one has been given a measure of faith. You've been given all the faith that you need that God has given you to believe, to be born again. You have enough faith to move mountains. We're talking about mountain-moving faith. We're talking about difficulties and challenges. The hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. If you have enough faith to believe Jesus as your Savior, you have enough faith to move mountains. You have enough faith to see God work in your life. You have faith. Now, this is something we talked about last week, is that we have the same faith available as Peter and John, as Simon and Andrew, as Philip, the great evangelist. Look with me at this scripture. I believe it's uh, 2 Peter 1. I think it's verse 1. Check this out. 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Peter's a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus. How many think Peter was a big deal? Peter prayed for people that could not walk, and they walked. Peter, the very shadow of Peter, Peter would pass by and heal people. Peter saw folks raised from the dead. How many think Peter's a great man of faith and power? It wasn't something exclusively given to Peter. The same faith that Peter had access to, we have access to. It says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Meaning God doesn't give Carrie one big faith and God gives Rick little faith or Quentin small faith and Chad big faith. God gave everybody a measure of faith. The problem is certain people never learn how to use their faith. It's a muscle. Certain people never learn how to activate their faith. I'm going to show you this in a minute. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But there's a major difference between being saved and walking in salvation. There's a lot of Christians that are saved. They've got their get out of hell card punched. But they have no concept how to live in God's salvation in the earth. That's why we're doing this message. Because our faith can work. Our faith can move mountains. So we have the same faith available as Peter and John. We know from Romans 4, there's strong faith and there's weak faith. Let's look at these very quickly that can cause our faith to be weak. Just like our faith can be strong by coming to a good church, by listening to good preaching. Okay, amen. Good thing Rick's preaching next week. All right, let me just hand this over now. By coming to a good church, by listening to good preaching. All right. I didn't say you have to like the style, but the word that goes forth is good. That I do know. What can cause our faith to weaken? My faith is a little weak right now, just to be honest with you. <laughs> we can look at our natural situations. We can have fear. Fear is believing the lies that Satan speaks. Fear is a false exaggeration about reality. You ought to write that down. Fear is a false exaggeration about reality. Reality. The reality is you're having a pain on your side. But fear says you have stage 7 kidney cancer, which doesn't exist. I don't think no stage 7, right? Okay. I think stage 7, you're with Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and so fear says, fear says I've got a, fear says I've got a, a lump on my leg and it, your mind goes to the worst. Or fear says you get a notice that your company's laying off. That's a reality. 
But fear says you're going to be the one that's laid off. Fear says maybe you don't have as many clients to work with right now and you're going into the slow time of winter if you're in sales. But faith says God meets every need and God supplies. The reality is, but fear falsely exaggerates that reality. You walk by Sister Joyce one day and Joyce is messing with her boys and thinking about dinner and, and she doesn't say hi to you and that's a reality it's not because Joyce was mean she just was not paying attention she didn't see you and then you begin to think Joyce doesn't like you that's a false fear and exaggeration and you begin to let that develop and bitter there have been churches split over something that goofy so you take a reality maybe maybe you and your spouse are working different shifts and maybe you don't see each other a lot right now and maybe Maybe that's a reality, but the fear says they don't love me anymore because they don't spend time with me. See, that? that's not true. They're just, they're just busy. It's just a very difficult season. It's a false exaggeration about reality. Fear is believing the lies of the, the enemy, and faith is believing the promises of God. Which one are we going to choose? I'm choosing faith. I'm not going to live in fear. Look what else can weaken our faith. A bad report from the doctor. The news media. A very low bank account. This can cause your faith to be weak. Remember the man in Scripture said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief? It's okay to admit that we have unbelief so the Lord can help us deal with it. So we can, He can meet us at our point of weakness. And it's really not the size of our faith that helps us receive from God. It's really the size of our unbelief that keeps us from receiving from the Lord. It's a continued string over and over and over of difficulty and challenging. How I many it can wear on your faith? There's certain times that I do some handyman stuff, and I'm, I'm still building my tool collection. So one day I was doing some plumbing, and I didn't have a hacksaw, so I got a knife out of the kitchen. It has the same shape blade. It should work the same, right? And so Tara comes in, and she says, what are you doing? And I'm under there with her kitchen knife, and I'm just sawing away at this pipe, and she's like... I don't know, but I don't know if that's supposed to. I don't know if these two things work together. I don't know a lot about construction. but And I got the pipe to a point, and, and what I did is I began to just bend it and bend it and bend it and bend it. I couldn't get it to cut through because I was using a kitchen knife. Ham is different than plumbing pipe. <laughs> and so I began to cut and cut and cut and couldn't get it to break, so I took the, put the knife down, which was probably a good thing, and I began to bend it back and forth and back and forth, and eventually it broke because it kept being bent and bent and bent. Sometimes our faith is bent and bent and bent and bent and bent and worn and worn and if we're not careful it will tend to break. But God has sent me this way this morning to be, help strengthen your faith and to give you some keys where your faith can work. So number three, this is new ground, new territory. This is where I want to just land today and we're going to dive in here for just a few minutes. Number three, the, th the third fundamental to flowing in faith. How many of you are interested in flowing in faith? Faith that works. I'm very interested. Number three, faith on the inside must be moved to the outside. Please hear me. Please hear my heart. Please lock in for the next few minutes because this will revolutionize your Christian life. Faith on the inside must be released to the outside. And I'm going to walk through these things. This morning I'm going to really slip into teacher mode. And I'm just going to walk through some scriptures. We're going to go Bible hopping. Anybody like to go Bible hopping? How many know Bible hopping's better than bar hopping? We're going to really look at some scriptures. Write these down. Take notes. Because this is going to really help you. Yeah, Quentin liked that. Amen. That's the first time he's ever heard that. And he liked it. That's about as good as it gets. So thank you for laughing. Praise the Lord. 
All right, number three, faith on the inside must be moved to the outside. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn over there. Look at that on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 12 and verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And we'll give the media team just a second to pull that up. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even much more in my absence. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that word fear is not the word fear in a sense of like afraid, the emotion of afraid. It's more of a fear of respect. How many know if you're going to use a chainsaw, you should have a healthy fear to the chainsaw? The reason people get injured when they do things with guns, there's accidental shootings all the time. They become too familiar and too comfortable. So we should have a holy reverence for a holy God. I don't approach God out of fear like He might squish me. Well, I'm afraid God's going to get me. If God was going to get you, you'd have already been got. So we don't approach God out of fear, but we approach Him out of respect and honor and reverence, just like you would a, a weapon or just like you would something of that is dangerous because of, of the ramifications of that. So Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation. Now underline that word own, <laughs> uh, your, work out your. I can't work out Kathy's salvation for her. It's not my job to work out Chad and Kelly's salvation. It's my job to work out my salvation. We get in trouble when we think that I'm called to work out Gail's salvation. That's Gail's job. My job is to encourage you and to love you and to support you. But I need to take care of me. We've got too many Christians trying to work out salvation in somebody else. And it's not even working in their own life. How about we work it in our own life before we try to go work it out in somebody else's life? If I could get on a soapbox for just a moment. So it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now look at verse 13. This is what I'm talking about. It's an inside-out job. You see, religion is about behavior modification. Religion says if you quit drinking and quit running around with those that are in a negative lifestyle, religion says if you'll quit cursing, religion says if you'll quit stealing and cheating, you ought to quit stealing, but religion says if you'll quit stealing and cheating on your taxes and sleeping around and being immoral, religion says if you do all that, then you can come to church and God will love you. God says, you come to me as you are, let me love you, and then I will change you from the inside out. It's, it's an inside out job. The reason people become frustrated with religion is because it's an outward agitation on what they're doing when God is concerned about who you are. Conviction is an inward conviction based on who you are, not what you're doing. Religion is all about what you're doing. This church is about what God is doing in you. Because if we can get God doing something in you, it will work it out in your life. Salvation begins in our heart. It's an inside job, but then we have to work it out. Anybody in the house work out? I get a workout every Sunday. It's energy. It's hard. It's why many of you don't do it, obviously. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. Notice this here in verse 13. We work out our own salvation for it is God who is at work in you. I love it. God works it in. That's his job. I work it out. That's my job. God works it in. Only he can do that. And only I can work it out. God cannot do my job. God will not do my job. And I cannot do his job. God works it in me. 
And then it is my job to work it out. So faith on the inside must be moved to the outside. We, we read in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, whoever says to this mountain, to this problem, this challenge, be removed, taken up to the sea, doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted unto him. So many Christians do not believe that what they pray for and ask for is actually going to happen. I actually believe the stuff I pray for is going to happen. And I'm not going to accept it not happening. Because it's a promise of God to me and my family. I'm not going to accept Josh not being able to come home. I'm not going to accept my family dealing with difficulty and sickness and all that. It may come, but it doesn't have to stay. I'm not going to accept it because the Word says so. I'm just telling you, when I pray, I believe it. Well, what if you pray and it doesn't happen? I'm not, I'll deal with that when I get there. Right now, my faith is I'm locked in. And when I pray according to God's will, I believe it. And you can't talk me out of it. That's just where I'm at. That's, that's what I've chosen to sell out to. And that's what I see in Scripture. Look at it, Mark eleven twenty three. Whoever says, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it's going to happen. It'll be granted to him. We have to leave this building, no matter what has happened to us in our past, no matter what has happened to us with situations before, we have to leave this room knowing when we pray according to the will of God, it's going to be done. It's going to happen. We have to have that settled in our heart. And if we do not, then we will never fully see this kind of faith at work in our life. And we'll continue to, to, to have challenges that we cannot overcome with God's help. We'll con- I didn't say challenges won't come. How I many of the closer you get to God, the more you're going to be fighting the devil? So, but we've got to to prepare ourselves with the armor of God and we've got to sell out to this concept that we see in Scripture. Even though in my life I've had situations that didn't turn out like I thought. But that doesn't mean I'm going to quit selling out 100% to what the Word of the Lord says. I have to get my faith from God's Word and not my experience. How many of you had a bad experience? I've I've had bad experiences. Not near as bad as some of you in this room. I have sympathy for you and I understand that. But I can't let... What happened negative in our past, I can't let that keep me from believing 100% of God's Word now. If you believe for 50%, you might just hit it. If you believe for 100 you might just hit that. So we want to have faith that works. Faith is an act of our will. Would you say that with me? Say, faith is an act of my will. Look with me at John 20 and verse 25. You guys remember old Thomas? Good old doubting Thomas. So all the disciples believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, except Thomas. All the disciples chose to believe, but Thomas had an act of his will and said, I will not believe unless. So the others, other disciples were saying, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the imprint of his nails and his fingers in the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will. I will not believe. Meaning that Thomas had a choice. It is a choice of his will to believe or not. This morning we have a choice. We can believe the book at 100% and allow it to begin to work in our life in a way we've never seen before, or we can be like Thomas and choose not to believe. See, this is how we do this. We take take the Scriptures, we take the promises of God, and we begin to meditate them on the inside. Meditate, meditate, meditate on the inside. And next they become full of revelation. We begin to see Jesus in these promises, and, and they begin to swell up on the inside, and they become so large on the inside that they begin to come out, and they have to come out. How many know there's more room out than there is in? 
So we put the promises of God in and put them in when we don't need them and they become larger than life. Therefore, they become worked out in our own life. Now, I want everybody to turn to Romans 10. I want to help us here. Again, please hear what I'm saying. Please hear what I'm not saying. Please hear balanced. Romans chapter 10. I want everybody to look at this. This is a very mature passage of Scripture. This is something we're going to dive into that maybe you've never seen before. Maybe you have. But this is not for the faint at heart spiritually because this is so, so very powerful. We're going to read one verse and then I have a short video clip for you and then we're going to come back and read the rest. We're going to read Romans 10 and we're going to start in verse 5 and we're going to go all the way down through, I believe, verse 10. Are you ready? All right, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. Now, if you would keep this on the screen for just a moment, I want to talk about this. Let me read it again. For Moses wrote this. Remember Moses, God gave him the law, gave him the Ten Commandments. For the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law, meaning the law was a set of standards. The law was a measuring stick. And there were people that obtained righteousness by God based on keeping the law. How are you right with God in the Old Testament? You obeyed the law. Now, how many of you are glad we live in New Testament times now, not the Old Testament times? If your teenager backtalked his mother, he was to be stoned to death. Now, some of you were wishing we were in the Old Testament law. I see that. But it was much more challenging. But the way that you were made right with God, how many know I would have been dead a long time ago? I would not have had a chance. So the way that they became right with God was how well they performed. By keeping the rules, keeping the law. But now, that, that's, that's a righteousness that's by the law. There is a righteousness based on works. Meaning, if I, if I tithe, God will bless me. I'm going to shock you here. God doesn't bless you because you tithe. God has already blessed you because He loves you. When you tithe, it aligns yourself under the spout where the glory is being poured out. Tithing does not bring the blessings of God because Ephesians chapter 3 says we've been blessed in heavenly places with all spiritual blessings. The blessings of God have already been poured out by Christ Jesus. So when I tithe, I'm not tithing to get blessed. I tithe because I am blessed. I tithe not to get God to bless me more because God has already blessed me. I'm blessed in heavenly places with, with all spiritual blessings. But I tithe out of obedience and when I'm obeying, what it does is it lines me up to receive the blessings of God. Should you tithe? Yes. If you pray and fast for three hours, God does not love you more. Should you pray and fast for three hours from time to time? Sure. But it's not to get God to do something because He's holding your blessing in His stingy hand. And if you will pray for three hours, He might release it. That's not how God operates. God doesn't bless you because of what you do. God blesses you based on what Jesus did. I don't receive from God based on how good James is. I receive from God based on how awesome Jesus is. Now, should you pray an hour if the Lord leads you? Absolutely. But it's not for God. It's for you. If I spend an hour in prayer, I come out ready to receive. I come out pliable and my, my heart is soft and I'm ready to hear from the Lord. And God might give me wisdom. We pray for a lot of answers. Everybody buckle up. You got seatbelts here. We pray for a lot of answers. We pray for God to do a lot of stuff. Is God, and God is saying, you don't need an answer. You need wisdom. Wisdom. 
wisdom. And so there's a whole lot we're asking God to fix. I'm hammering a nail. I'm hammering a nail. I keep hitting my thumb. Oh, God, would you deliver me from hitting my thumb? (laughs) Oh, it hurts so bad. And God says, how about you stop swinging the hammer on your thumb? How about you have wisdom? Is that okay? Are we okay? I don't even know how I got there. I got to get back over here. I got to get... But, but it's, there's, there's, there's a God loves me based on what I do. And then there's a righteousness that is by faith. I made a very hard point so you can see there is a righteousness based on how good I am. And if I do this, God loves me. Should you tithe and pray and give and serve? Yes, all those things. Not to get blessed. You do it as a response because you are so blessed. It's a get to, not a have to. It really is. Should you serve? Yes. Not because you have to. People call me sometimes and they apologize that they miss church. And, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that heart. Please, you can continue to do that. I like to know where you are. That way I don't think that you went down to some other church down the road. Because, you know, the preaching is really good here. Amen. But I just, uh, yeah, Carrie likes it. But, you know, let us know when you're out. That's no problem. But don't, don't apologize because you feel like God's not going to love you very much today if you miss church. You cannot cause God to unlove you. Should you be in church? Yeah, I come to church all the time. Have you noticed? I come all the time. But I don't come because I have to. I come because I get to. I don't come to church to get God to love me. I come because I am so loved by God. So there's a righteousness that's by works and the law. Then there's a righteousness by faith. Check out this video of some folks that really got it wrong. Check this out. Andrew, come here. What? I have told you every day this week to cut the grass. Why hasn't it been done? Because I don't respect you, old man. Andrew, the Bible says obey your parents. Well, that's Old Testament. I'm not under that law. I'm under grace. You're going to be under my belt. Oh, come on, man. It was just a purse. I know you caught me still, but that's the Ten Commandments, man. That's the Old Testament. I ain't under that law. I'm under grace. Yeah, save that for the judge. Oh! How long have we been married? Um... What day is it? Ten years, Jared. It's ten years. Ten Ten years. years. Ten years. I knew that. And you still can't come home and just tell me about your day? What did you do today? I do the same thing I do every day. Sloan, I I go to work. I I ate at the taco shack. Um, I I committed adultery. I did our taxes. Excuse me? You didn't want me to do the taxes? Adultery, Jared? It's not what you think. I mean, it's the old law. The Ten Commandments, I'm not under those. I'm under grace. We're cool. And we're getting a refund. Oh, come on. How many of you know there's a difference between grace and the law? That was good. Wasn't that good? So Moses, Moses said there is a righteousness. Now we have to define the word righteousness. Righteousness means right with God. Righteousness means the right to stand with a holy God. You understand God is holy. God cannot tolerate even an ounce of sin. God is pure and holy. He's a consuming fire. I have no right to stand in the presence of a holy God except through the blood of Jesus Christ because Jesus came and He died 
and God raised him from the dead, I now have the payment has been paid for my sin. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Sin pays death. But Jesus came and he flipped it and he took that payment of death on the cross. And now my wages of following God is eternal life. That's what the scriptures say. So Moses said there's a man who practices. This is the key. Ready? This is written to us in the New Testament. Paul said there's a man who practices righteousness by the law. Now notice this in verse 6. I want you to see this. But the righteousness based on faith. What are we talking about now? Faith. The righteousness standing with God. God loving me and accepting me based on faith and not what I've done. What kind of faith? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a righteousness, a right standing with God. You will never receive anything from the Lord if you do not believe you are right with God. If you do not believe that God loves you and you are right in His eyes, if that you are now a saint, Rick's talked about this, uncommon, holy one, if you do not believe now that you are holy and forgiven, you will never receive anything from the Lord. It's impossible. Notice this here. So it says there's a, there's a standing with God based on faith that speaks. There's a righteousness with God that says... There's a righteousness based on faith in Jesus Christ that speaks. And it says this, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Look with me at verse 7. Or who will descend into the deep and do the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So the righteousness that is by faith does not say, I'm going to go to heaven and bring Christ down. Because the righteousness that is by faith says Christ has already come down. The righteousness that is by faith does not say I'm going to go down to the deep and bring Jesus up from the deep because Jesus has already went to hell, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and now He's ascended back to the Father. Meaning this, meaning this, the righteousness that is by faith doesn't say I'm going to try to get God to do something that He's already done. God has already done this. He has already made this way. He's already given us provision. So I'm not going to force the hand of God by my actions to do something that He's already done. There's a righteousness by works and by faith. Look at verse 8. What does it say? So faith does not say, I'm going to call the power of God down. Now, I know people like to do that. We're going to call the power of God down from heaven. It already came from heaven. You should read Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit into the world. The power of God has already been sent into the world. I'm going to tell you this. Are you ready? Are you ready? The power of God is in Joseph. And instead of me praying, oh, God, send your power down, I should be praying, God, send Joseph out. Because the power of God is now in Sabrina. Instead of me saying, oh, God, our city needs you, send your power down to our city, I should be praying, God, fill up Sabrina so much with your spirit and send her out. Because the kingdom of God is now within you. If the power of God is not coming down, it's because you're not going out. And I say that with love. I say that with compassion. But it's not, oh God, send your kingdom. The kingdom is already here. It is now on the inside of me as a believer. If I'm not seeing the kingdom of God in my family, it's because I'm not taking the kingdom of God to my family. The righteousness that is by faith. What are we talking about? Faith that works. The righteousness by faith says this. It doesn't say, bring Christ down, bring Him up. This is what it says, verse 8. What does it say? The Word. 
is near. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. It is in your heart. It is in, and it is in your mouth. It is coming out. Remember this fundamental to flowing in faith is faith on the inside must be worked to the outside. So what does this righteousness that is by faith, what does it say? It says the word of God is near. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. It is the word of faith which we are preaching. Now I want to help everybody in the room. How many of you have been born again, given your life to Christ? Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. I know that's a very churchy, religious term. I understand it. I don't know anyone else to say except you are reborn in your spirit into the kingdom of God. Everybody in this room that has, been, that has given their life to Christ, you probably heard this passage or you prayed this passage, but it means so much more. We only use this passage when we want someone to be saved. But this passage will help you activate your faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Every one of you have heard it. I quote it when we are leading people to the Lord. It's appropriate for that. But there's so much more revelation here. So what does this righteousness that is by faith say? It says the word of faith is near. It's the word which we are preaching. This is what we're preaching. That if you confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It says, for with the heart, in verse 10, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Connect the dots. We talked about righteousness that is by the law, righteousness that is by works, being right with God based on what we do. And then we talked about a righteousness that is by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. This says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart. So when you come down to get saved, we say, now, now do you believe in your heart? God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, now you got to confess it with your mouth. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, so you believe in your heart. What's on the inside? You speak. So what does... What does righteousness based on faith say? Are you ready? This is what it says. Ready? Verse 8. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word is near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. Faith speaks. Faith speaks. Would you say that with me? Ready? Faith speaks. Faith speaks. Faith is in your heart and you speak it out of your mouth. This is huge. Now let's look at verse 10. I want you to see this. Ready? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at verse 10. For with the heart a person believes. Everybody go, duh. What are you doing, Paul? Why are you repeating this? You just said this in verse 9. Verse 9 says, If you believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Paul You've had a bad day. You're repeating yourself. What, what is this? Why would you say the same thing again? For with a heart, the person believes, resulting in righteousness, right standing with God. And then notice this here. With the mouth, confession results in salvation. Go back, Jared, to verse 9. Confess, believe in your heart, you are saved, E-D, past tense. Meaning when you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. You confess that with your mouth, that you're, you're activating your faith, you are saved. Meaning you now have an eternal home in heaven. 
Past tense, it's a done deal. Your ticket to heaven is punched. God's, you, now you've got to walk the road of discipleship. Follow the Lord. You've now given your life to Christ. You can now believe in faith for eternal life. You are saved. E.D. Past tense. It's a done deal. It's settled. But, Paul, why did you repeat yourself? Paul, you just said that. Look at verse 10. Did you see it? Did you see the difference? Did you see what the difference is? Now we believe in our heart. It results in righteousness. Now that we are right with God, now that we know God loves us based on what Jesus has done, we confess with our mouth and it leads us to salvation. Present tense. Remember I told you earlier, many Christians are saved, but they never walk out salvation. Remember Philippians 2. See, this is the difference. Remember Philippians 2, we read that you are to work out your own salvation. It doesn't say you're to work for your own salvation. Because your salvation is paid for. You are saved. E-D. Saved. It's done deal. But there is a salvation, present tense, that must be worked out. You do not work out you being saved from eternal punishment, eternal damnation, eternal destruction. That is done. But you do work out your salvation in this life when you are saved. It is two Greek words. You have to take my word for this. Go home and look it up. But for now, you've got to take my word. But go home and study it. These are two different Greek words. One is the Greek word sozo, and one is the Greek word soteria. They are two uniquely different Greek words. One means saved from eternal damnation and punishment. The other means to really be delivered from destruction on the earth. It is a present tense verb, meaning, yes, God wants you saved, but God wants you walking out and working out your own salvation in the earth. Let me read to you what salvation means. Deliverance, preservation, safety... It's the sum of all the benefits and the sum of all the blessings which Christians redeemed from earthly ills will enjoy because of the work of Christ. And it will be finally consummated in the kingdom of God when, we, when we're with the Lord in heaven. So I want you to see this. Let me, let me back up here. This is so important. There's a, there's a believing and a confessing unto I'm saved. I'm a born again child of God. But so many Christians stop there. There is also a believing in your heart and there's a speaking that allows you to... And there's so many more verses that I could show you on this. You've you got to know this is really the way it is. There's so many more verses that back this up. There is a salvation that Chad can walk out on the earth. There's a salvation, a present deliverance from evil, a present uh, of everything we need from the Lord, being delivered and protected and healed and healthy and whole. All that is in that Greek word soteria, and it's something we can live out on the earth. Not only does God want to save from eternal damnation and fire, but He wants us to live out His salvation on the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So how do we go from just being saved... To working out salvation in the earth, faith speaks. If you believe it in your heart, you say it. Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, I know TV preachers get weird on this. And they talk about, if you say you'll have a Cadillac, you'll have a Cadillac. You can stand in, in the oven and say you're a biscuit all day long, but that doesn't make you a biscuit. Can I have any man? just makes you a hothead. You're not a biscuit. You can stand in your garage and say, I'm a Lamborghini, I'm a Lamborghini. You are going to the mental hospital is what you are doing. 
So just because you say it, that's not the... But Jesus said in John 16, My words are spirit, and my words are life. So when, when I'm fighting something or I'm fighting a, a mountain or a situation or a difficulty, I take God's words and I take them and I meditate on them and meditate on them and I put them in my heart and put them in my heart and then I begin to speak. What am I doing? I'm confessing unto salvation. I'm con- not, not salvation meaning my eternal ticket to heaven is punched. That I'm saved. I'm already saved. Now I'm confessing unto salvation that I see on the earth. That I realize the promise. What does that mean? That's where the promises of God begin to activate in my life now. Not just in the great sweet by and by of heaven. I begin to see God at work in my life now. I begin to see God at work in my family now. I begin to see God at work in my peace now. In my job, in my finances. On and on. Faith speaks. I want to say this kindly and nicely. Some of you have had great things from the Lord coming your way. And because of that hole between your, what is it, nose and eyes, or down there somewhere, because of your pie hole, <laughs> you have literally aborted what God was wanting to do in your life because of your mouth, because of your negativity, because of you saying, I just feel so tired all the time. I don't know why. Probably because you keep saying you feel tired all the time. Well, nothing ever works right for me. Probably because you keep saying nothing will work right for you. You know what I tell my little car when I get in my little car? It's got 216,000 miles on it. It smells like burning oil a little bit. You know what I tell that car? You're going to last as long as I need you to last. You're not going to break. I've had, I can't even tell, I don't even know of any repairs on that car other than changing my oil. Maybe something very minor, tires and all that. Brakes. Are you supposed to change the brakes at 215,000? I don't know if I've ever. I don't know. That's amen. That's right. You know what I tell that little car? You are a blessed little car. My kid said, Dad, we need a new car. How long is this car going to last? As long as I need it to. Come on, amen. You know what I'm talking about. I pray for my light bulbs. Light bulbs, you're going to last longer than everybody else's. We were in our house almost five years before we changed our first light bulb to God be my honest witness. I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. Almost five years before we changed the light bulb. And I didn't have the thousand hour LED either. Your standard. It's not. Again, you can't take empty words and just expect magical things to happen. That's not what it is. It's. It's about, it, there, you know there's a promise that says the feet on the shoes of the, 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 the shoes on the feet of the people of Israel didn't wear out and there was not one feeble among them. If God can make shoes for a million people in the desert for 40 years not wear out, can He not make my car go as long as I need it to? Come on. Right? But when you say, well, this old junker, I don't know how much longer it's going to run. Well, it's not going to run very long now because of what you just said. Now, thank God we don't get everything we say. Right? Thank God we don't get everything we say. Yeah, are you asking her how much longer she's going to last? As long as he needs you to. Amen. I don't know that this works on people, okay? This is no. You got life insurance or something? What's going on here? All right, quit interrupting my sermon. I got to go. I got to move on here. Look at this. 
but having the same spirit of faith. Same spirit as, really, honestly, as Jesus Christ. I've got the same spirit of faith that Jesus had. Come on, that's, that's what the Word teaches. I've got the same spirit of faith that Paul had. Great, mighty man of God. Now it's up to me to learn how to use it and develop it. You think Paul had any trouble believing God for things? Why do we? Look what he said. By the, by the same spirit of faith, according to it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. I believe, therefore I spoke. Faith that works speaks. Let me challenge you. Just, just start. Now, it doesn't mean just say something tomorrow, you're going to have it next day. There's faith and patience. There's a whole other deal there, okay? There's faith and patience. And we don't want to preach on faith and patience. We want faith in now. <laughs> but Scripture is really faith and patience. So, so if you say something today and don't get it tomorrow, don't give up. But there are times that God will speak to you and say, if you will release this in the atmosphere, I'll do it. Like at All Church Prayer, when we asked the Lord when it looked impossible, we said, Lord, would you do something in seven days for our friend Josh? Now, if I just do that on my own, I'm just saying empty words, but those were John 16, 33. My words are spirit in their life. We felt the unction of the Holy Spirit. I was standing at my mirror combing my hair one day, and the Lord asked me, I, this was 2012. We had 15, 20 people in the church. Mary and David were here. They know. We just just really getting rolling again. The church had had some great days and had went down a little bit, but God was helping us. And we were coming back, and and the Lord said, "Can you believe me for? Can you believe me for that church to to send five thousand dollars to Convoy of Hope?" And I was looking in the mirror, and I had a choice. And in 2012, with 20 people, we sent five thousand. Mary, did we not? We sent five thousand twenty-one dollars to Convoy of Hope. Come on, can we give God thanks? Come on, can we give God thanks? I was standing and I said, okay, here we go. Looked in the mirror and said, Lord, I believe you. We'll send $5,000 come with hope. What did I do? I showed up the next day and I spoke. I told the team, hey, God's challenging us. We're going to send $5,000 to come with hope. Yay. I was the only one in the room excited. <laughs> Mary was there. She knows. They're like, okay, well, I believe, therefore I spoke. But now, there is, there is an element. Let me help you here. Please, please don't check out. Please, 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 please. If you don't believe, there is an element of speaking to get you to that point of believing. And that's okay. That's appropriate. Look what Paul said. I believed and therefore I spoke. Luke 6, we won't read it, but it says, Out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Out of evil brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If faith is in your heart, it speaks. So this week, we're not going to say anything negative. This week, we're not going to say things negative about people in our life, and our cars, and our spouses, and our health. Oh, my arm, it just hurts all the time. Would you quit saying it? I don't even, I try not to say, uh, you know, you stick out like a sore thumb. I want to say, I want to stick out like a healed thumb. I don't want, to, I don't want no sore thumb. I want to stick out like a healed thumb. Amen? So notice this here. A couple more scriptures. That's right. 1 John 5, 14. Two more scriptures and we're done. 1 John 5, 14. Do you have that one? This is the confidence. Remember, faith speaks. Faith based on the righteousness that Jesus loves us. This is a confidence we have before Him that if we ask, and it's verbalization, that's speaking, anything according to His will, He hears us. James chapter 3 says, We have not because we ask not. Even then we ask, sometimes we ask amiss. You've got to ask according to God's will. His will is His word. Look at verse 15. 
And we know. We got to get to the point where we know. So many Christians don't know. We got to get to the point where we know that He hears us and whatever we ask, there is nothing impossible with God. There's nothing impossible to those who believe. And I know that. It's not just something I am just regurgitating that I read somewhere or heard on the internet. I know that nothing is impossible with God and to those who believe. And you can't talk me out of it. This is the confidence we have that He hears us and that we will have the request, the spoken request, which we've asked for. But faith and patience. Don't give up on God if you don't see it in a week. God is not on your time schedule. Because I know every one of you right now are on a schedule and we're not done yet. God is not on your time schedule. We're almost done. But God is not on your time schedule. Last verse, uh, whatever your name is over there, can you go help us? Bruce, thank you. Thank you. Well, we love Bruce. Yeah, we love Bruce. Come on. All right, Hebrews 13. So, so salvation is an inside-out job. Faith in God is an act of our will. Internal faith must be moved outward by our speaking. We believe and confess. Faith speaks. We receive based on what Jesus has done, not what we've done. We, we work with faith and patience, meaning I'm going to confess this until I believe it. By whose stripes I was healed. I'm going to say it every day till I believe it. Scripture talks about don't do vain repetitions. That's not a vain repetition. That's the word of the living God. It's okay to repeat it. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Make sure your character, it's a heart issue. It's all about the heart. God is more concerned about what you are becoming on the inside than what you're doing or receiving on the outside. And God may not release things in your life and you may not see the manifestation because there's still some things in your character that He's working on. And the quicker you yield and the quicker you obey, the quicker you'll begin to see faith working in your life. Notice this here. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Boy, we could preach on that. Be content with what you have. Now he's just, he's just, this is kind of the final wrap up. He's just hitting a bunch of stuff all at once. Notice this here. For he has said, say that with me. This is intentional. I want you to say it. Ready? For he has said, say it again. Ready? For he has said, for God has said, I will never desert you. I will never uh, forsake you. For he has said, say it one more time. Ready? For he has said, very intentional while I'm asking you to do that. Look at the next verse. So that we can say. So that I can boldly say. He has said, so that I can boldly say. When I do declare things out of faith, when we did declare that in the realm of the Spirit, that Josh was going to get some movement in seven days, I wasn't just saying so. I was hearing what the Father was saying, and I was just giving my vocal cords to it. When, when the Lord challenged us to do $5,000 for Convoy of Hope, I just didn't stand up and go, it's a good idea. I heard the Spirit of God say, and I gave voice to what the Spirit of God was saying. There are going to be things in your life that you're going to hear the Lord speaking to you and He's going to challenge you. Open your mouth and speak those promises of God. He has said so that we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen.